Let's just briefly pray. Father, we ask that you might open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your law, in your word. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I don't know if you ever organize dinner parties or who you would invite. Maybe it's just simply some of your family. Or maybe it's some friends. Or maybe it's some work colleagues. Maybe it's just to meet up again and catch up with them. Maybe it's to impress others. I wonder why Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus. Was he trying to trap him like often the Pharisees try to trap Jesus? Was he curious? Did he want to find a bit more about this man, this so-called prophet? I don't know. Well, of course, sometimes when you organize dinners, they don't always go the way you plan. Maybe the power cuts off. Maybe some of the dinner gets burnt or you've got to put something in or something else. Anyway, at this party, things that go according to plan, there's a great clashing. Now, that would have been quite easy there because uh, it's a warm country. And quite often they would eat outside. That's one of the great things when you go on holiday to somewhere warm, to be able to eat outside. I think it's, it's lovely. Al fresco. And perhaps there's a bit of, of a, a breeze outside to cool you down. And anyway, this woman walks in and suddenly all the chatter dies down. Perhaps they're wondering, who is this? This woman comes in and is preoccupied with Jesus. And here's my first point. Here's a woman, a prostitute, who truly loved. I wonder, can we try to put ourselves in this woman's shoes? Maybe that's not very easy. It seems she's from the local red light district, if there was one. It seems she's a woman who sleeps around or perhaps sleeps for money or maybe out of desperation. Or maybe she's one of these who are trafficked for sex. We, we don't know. But anyway, it seems she has heard of Jesus and she comes because she has heard Jesus is at this house at this dinner. And it seems her life has been changed by Jesus. Something has happened. Now, we're not told who she is. We're left in the dark, as it were. But Simon, the Pharisee, he knows well. He knows her background. But he's not too impressed. Remember that occasion when the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus? They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Could this have been her? Of course, they were trying to chop Jesus on that occasion. Maybe they even set it all up. No, they didn't bring the man. He too was an adulterer. But could it be this woman? Do you remember what happened on that occasion? You know what the penalty for adultery is in the Old Testament? It's stoning to death. 
That's how seriously God took adultery. Stoning her. And anyway, they bring uh, her to Jesus. They ask the question, what should be done? Uh, we try to enact the law or we try not to, trying to get in the trouble with the Romans or with the people he's teaching. You see, if he doesn't say yes to her, you believe, you teach the law, you're here to, hear, you're here to fulfill the law. Anyway, how does Jesus respond? He says, let him without sin cast the first stone. But instead of looking for stones, what did the Pharisees do? One by one, they begin to sink off. And uh, then Jesus asked her, where are your accusers? They've gone. All gone. And he says, I'm not going to condemn you, but go stop sinning. Was it this woman? We don't know. But maybe it was. And yet she comes to this house knowing that Simon is a Pharisee. Maybe he's one of the ones who brought her, if that's who it was. Who accused her. It must have taken guts, courage, or great love to lead her to do this. It must have been a profound change to be brought about in her life. She's willing to come into this house, knowing who this man Simon was, in order to show her love for Jesus. Knowing that he had not condemned her. In fact, I don't know, she, did she realize at this point he actually would die for her? For the law said adulterers should be stoned. Jesus went to the cross and he was killed in her place. And in my place. And in your place. That love which she experienced from Jesus was returned in her love for him. And now she was more concerned to show her love to Jesus than what this Pharisee might think of her. Or what others might think of her. Love which led her to wash his feet with her tears. And she wept over her past life. And Jesus' compassion to her. Love which led her to use her hair to dry his feet. I remember when I was a student in Edinburgh a long time ago. And I was away on a weekend. In, uh, oh, the place will come to me. But anyway. And uh, at one of the meetings, one of the other students, Christian fellas, said he wanted to do something for the leader of our group, for Gavin was the leader. He says, I want to wash your feet. He 
pursue his love for the Lord. And, and Gavin, the leader, as I was speaking to him afterwards, he thought, oh, don't do that to me. He was a bit like Peter. <laughs> but what a, a thing to do to wash somebody's dirty, smelly feet. And of course, that was the, what you normally did in those days. Somebody came to you for visit, lunch visit, coming from a distance. You provided water to wash their feet, and she came to wash Jesus' feet to show him love with hospitality. And of course, she brought this ointment as well, this expensive ointment, and gave it to Jesus. Another expression of her love. Here's what J.C. Ryle comments on this passage. Her love was the effect of her forgiveness, not the cause. It was the consequence of her forgiveness, not the condition. It was the result of forgiveness, not the reason. It was the fruit of forgiveness, not the reason. Forgiveness from Jesus should lead us to love Jesus. Don't know if you've heard of Tony Campalo. He's an American preacher, evangelist, sociologist. But on one occasion, he was traveling to Hawaii to Honolulu for a conference. And I think, well, it was jet lag or something, he couldn't sleep. He went out downtown and went into a diner for a, a coffee and a donut. And as he was there, some seedy characters came in and he felt somewhat uncomfortable, but he waited and two women drew up beside him. And uh, as he listened in, one related to the other that it was her birthday the next day. So what, said the other woman, do you want us to throw you a party? The first woman replied, I've never had a birthday party. Why would I want one now? And after a while they left and Tony made the decision and asked the fellow behind the counter if he knew these two women. And yes, he knew them. They came in every night about the same time. And so Tony said, do you know what I want to do? I want to throw a birthday for this woman. In fact, to her, her name was Agnes. I want to throw a birthday party for Agnes. Could we arrange that tomorrow night? So it was all arranged. So the next night, or rather the next morning, 3.30 a.m., when the two women entered, there were party decorations, and there was a big cheer, and there was a cake for Agnes. And she was overcome. And she said, can I take the cake home. And she took the cake immediately and went home. And so Capallo goes on, when the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. And not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, why do you say that we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange that a sociologist should lead a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at half past three in the morning. But it just felt like the right thing to do. So I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed, that God would be good to her. And when I finished, 
Harry from behind the counter. Harry leaned over the counter with a taste of hostility in his voice and said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And Paulo goes on. In one of those moments when just the right words came, I said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for fours at half past three in the morning. Harry, wait a minute. And then almost sneered as he answered, no, you don't. There's no such church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join the church of God. he truly loved because he was changed by Jesus. Contrast her actions with those of Simon the Pharisee. And that's my next point. The Pharisee, he didn't sin. Simon the Pharisee didn't belong to such a church as Campala was talking about. He knew exactly what sort of woman this was who'd walked into his house and his dinner party. He thought, if, if this Jesus I've invited, if he were a true prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is. Of course, Jesus did know. And if Jesus was a prophet and didn't know what sort of woman she is, he would have the same reaction as I, Simon, have. Jesus didn't. And Jesus knew exactly what Simon was thinking. As he knows what you're thinking and I'm thinking at any time. He might say one thing, but he knows our thoughts and our attitudes. And so Jesus tells this story. Simon, I have something to say to you. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, that's 20 months' wages. The other, 50, two months' wages. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one with the greater debt will love him more. Jesus continues, you have judged rightly. You see this woman, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. 
And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this that even he forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Simon had indeed invited Jesus to his home. He may even respect Jesus, but he didn't truly love Jesus. He didn't truly welcome because if he did, he would have done those other things. Had his feet washed. Given him a kiss. Anointed his head with oil. But Simon didn't see the need to do that. And so not for this woman. Simon thought he was good. He was okay. He was respectable. He was a Pharisee after all. He was religious. And he was. In so many ways. He didn't see he was a sinner in need of the grace of Jesus as this woman was. Because as the Bible says, there is no one righteous, no one. All of sin, all of fall short. This woman and Simon. This woman and me and you. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, he or she who looks lustfully on another man or woman commits adultery. In our hearts, in our thoughts, we can sin and do sin and need forgiveness. Some of the knowledge of the scriptures, but not a true knowledge of his own heart and his need of a Savior in Jesus. He didn't feel the need to be forgiven. Sure, not like this woman. He didn't love Jesus as this woman did. And the fact is, the more we begin to see the magnitude of our sins before a holy God, the more we will love Jesus in return. The more we will marvel at his love for us. The more we'll want to obey. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Danger is, even as believers, we begin to think we're quite good. We, we come to faith because of grace. We're saved by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. We cannot save ourselves. But the danger is we begin to think, as Christians, if we're good enough, we're okay, but we're always in debt to God. We're never out of debt to God. We cannot repay the debt to God. And he delights to meet our needs. He is Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. You know, the wonderful thing about God's grace is it helps us see others in a right way, in a Christian way, as Jesus would, and it helps us see ourselves in a right way. If we've come to really understand God's grace to us in Christ, we cannot, we will not look down upon others. We'll know if we point the finger, there's three pointed back at us. We will not look more highly upon ourselves and others. 
right yourself. You realize I'm saved by grace. There but for the grace of God do I. I may not have done that, but I'm a sinner too. In need of Jesus. And where she has sinned there, I've sinned in this place or that area or in my thoughts. So I'm no better. Therefore, we can't think of ourselves more highly than others. But also, we can't think of ourselves less highly than we should. Sometimes some of us feel so useless and helpless and, oh, we're nothing and, oh, nobody could. And we beat ourselves up. And yet, God has loved us so far. And if we're in Christ, he has saved us and we're special and we're his children. And he has promised to be with us and never to leave us. So we shouldn't keep beating ourselves up, but we'll look to his grace and his goodness and his promises. So we never get all high and mighty. We're not each other's, nor do we think, oh, we're useless and nothing. And we're children of the living God. And Jesus is our Savior, our friend, our guide. We are the apple of his eye, his sons and daughters. Grace to God, the, the prostitute or the former prostitute who truly loved and the Pharisee who didn't see. Do we see the gospel? Do we see what Jesus has done for us? Do we see the magnitude of our sin? There will be times when we feel it more fully than others. But when we do, we may be with the tears. Marvel at God's goodness and God's grace. Moved by his grace to love him more. And how we treat others. Because how we treat them is, of course, how we treat him. As much as you did this to others, you've done it for me. If you haven't done it for others, then you haven't done it for me. Let's pray.